You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. We're so glad you're here. If you're joining us online, glad you're watching online. We'd love to have you in-house, but glad you can join us online. And I want to give a special thanks to Pastor Josh for letting me be up on the platform for week six of our Sermon on the Mount series. I appreciate that man so much. He has dedicated his life to the vision of Revolution Church. And those time, these times that we're in right now, transitioning from what's been our home for a long time to the gift that God has given us, I can think of nobody better to steer this ship called Revolution Church than our very own Pastor Josh. Can we give it up for him? I was getting ready for this message today, and I was sitting out on my porch swing, and I started reflecting on things that have happened in my lifetime, and just things that are kind of burned into my memory. And I thought back as far as I could and started making a list of things that I can remember uh, that have happened in my lifetime, Uh, the first of them being the assassination of JFK uh, in Dallas. I remember that. Uh, I remember uh, seeing the footage of Martin Luther King being gunned down on the streets of Memphis. Uh, I remember the Vietnam War because a lot of my classmates, their brothers, were being drafted to go to the war. And there was a lot of nervous energy in the atmosphere during that time. I remember man first walking on the moon uh, when that happened, uh, watching it in vivid black and white, okay? I remember the Watergate scandal, Richard Nixon, I am not a thief. Um, I remember that happening. I remember the explosion of the shuttle Challenger and how devastating that was, the loss of life. I remember the Columbine High School and the tragedy that happened there. And of course, I remember 9-11, and it's burned into all of our memories that were alive at that time and can, were old enough to remember. You probably remember exactly where you were when you first saw the news of that. I remember Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, and the devastation it left in New Orleans. And I remember the hunt for Osama bin Laden. These are just things, all of our lives, we will have things that are burned into our memories that we can just vividly remember those things happening because they're tied to an emotion. When we see it, the emotion that's behind it burns it into our memory. And then I started thinking about things that have changed in my lifetime, things that we used to use all the time and we don't use them anymore or very rarely you can even find them. And I've got some pictures. If you can put that first picture up. The landline phone, ours was in the kitchen, and we didn't have that 30-foot cord that you could stretch to any room in the house and find some privacy. Ours was like three or four feet long, so you were were confined to the kitchen for any conversation that you were going to have. And it wasn't even that. The thing that I despised about these phones, the rotary dial, you had a seven-digit phone number you had to dial. You got six of them okay. On the seventh one, your finger slipped. You had to hang up and dial again because you messed up. Anybody relate to that? Had to hang it up and dial it again. All right, this second thing, used to use it all the time, whiteout. I took typing class in high school, and you couldn't use this in that class, but when I was typing at home, and you know the, the drill, you'd roll the paper up, brush the whiteout on the mistake, 
and then you'd blow on it, and then you would try to position the paper back where it needed to be to type the letter in that you actually needed, and it was usually off somewhat. How good do we have it today? You press a delete button and redo it, or you have autocorrect that, that corrects your mistakes automatically. So good old whiteout. I don't know if you can buy it anymore. Somebody in first service told me you could. I don't know what you would use it for, like nail polish or something, but um, people still buy it evidently. All right, the next thing, the good old cassette tape. <sighs> You'd have it in your boom box or in your stereo in your car. It would start making funny noises you would eject it, pull it out, and always behind it was a trail of tape. So you'd gently pull it out, and then you'd get you a number two pencil, stick it in the hole, try to wind it up without anything getting twisted down here or stretch, and then put it back in. Um, I don't know if they even make them anymore. I have one uh, cassette tape left out of all the ones that I've had in my lifetime. The next thing, if you know what this is, Raise your hand if you ever used one of these. All right. Raise your hand if you have no idea what this is. Anybody? Everybody's too embarrassed. All right. This was what we had to do our business in before indoor plumbing, if you catch my drift. Okay. This is where you would do, go to do your paperwork, all right, if you know what I mean. And when you would go into one of these, you always checked and looked around because there might be a snake or a frog or an insect. Thank the Lord for indoor plumbing. Amen? All right. Can you imagine? Pull up to church, Rev Church. There's 300 of us in the service, and we have one outhouse outside. That would be tough. It's bad enough the way it is now where we only have limited bathrooms. That is all going to change in the very near future, all right? Bathrooms galore. Take your pick. It's going to be amazing. The next thing, full-service gas station. You come rolling into one of these in your car. You drive over this little hose. It would ding a bell inside. A guy would come out and say, how much gas you want? He would pump your gas for you. Not only that, he would wash your windshield and check your oil for you. Can you imagine? If we did that today, Bucky's would have to employ another 100 people to cover all their gas pumps. But if, if you know of one of these that's still in existence, please let me know because I'd love to go to it. Just get $5 worth of gas just for the experience. It's such a childhood memory of mine seeing guys do this. And last but not least, good old Blockbuster. It didn't matter what size town you lived in. It might not have been a Blockbuster, but you had some kind of video rental store where you could go and rent videotapes. And in Blockbuster, they had lines and lines and lines, and it was just the case that was out on the shelf. It wasn't the actual video. But you'd open up the case, and there was always a sticker inside that says, please be kind, rewind. Please be kind, rewind. And some places would charge you if you didn't rewind. But as I was thinking about this, it just shows that in our lifetimes, things happen and things change. Every one of our lives are marked by things that happen and things that change. And when Jesus shows up on the scene and he's starting his ministry, and he's given the Sermon on the Mount, things are changing. At that time, it was Jews and Gentiles. There was no Christianity yet, because Jesus was just coming on the scene. It was Jews and Gentiles. And the Jewish leaders, the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the gold standard of righteousness and holiness at the time. What they said went. 
They led the people in the ways of godliness. And Jesus shows up, and you've heard pastors say this through this series, Jesus is looking at the inside. What the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the scribes, everything that they did was external. It was how it looked on the outside. The cleansings, the sacrifices, the ways they handled sin. And Jesus is coming and saying, it's not about the outside, folks. It's about what's going on in your heart. And multiple times you see in the Sermon on the Mount, a verse will start with, you have heard it said. You have heard it said. And the reason for that is back in that day, people did not have books. The scriptures were written on scrolls, and they were in the temples and the synagogues, and the people went to the temples and synagogues, and the leaders would read to them. So all they know is what they've heard. They didn't have the actual scripture to look at and study and, and learn what it meant. And just as a side note from that, in our lives, this book right here, it's the only Holy Spirit, God-inspired book on the face of the earth. It is the absolute truth. We have it in our hands to read. And when we read God's word, he brings revelation to us, and he reveals to us what his word means. And, and I urge you, if you like to read books, that's okay. But don't read a bunch of books to verify that what the Bible says is true. Read the Bible to verify what those other books are saying is true. Don't take other books as the gospel. They're written by human beings and they can have flaws. Take this book as the gospel and verify the other things with this book, the Bible. Amen? But Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and I love how he teaches. He's like, this is how it was, this is how it is, and this is how you apply this to your life. He's taking a heavy load off of people because living under the law was hard. Obeying the law was hard, and it was a bunch of rules and regulations, and Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's freeing people from that stress so let's get into the meat of the message today. We're picking up right where Pastor Josh left off last week. In Matthew 5, we're going to be in verse 33 through 37, and this is what it says. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not take any vows do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You see, words matter. The words that come out of our mouth have power. They matter. They can be used for godly things or they can be used for evil things. From the very beginning, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the very first chapter of that first book of the Bible, 11 times says, and God said, and God said, God spoke. The spoken word created everything we see. He said, let there be light. And there was light. That's the power of the spoken word. It doesn't say, and God thought. It says, and God said. In Mark 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples about faith 
and the amount of faith you need to do mighty things for the kingdom of God. And he says, if you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, which is tiny, like a pinhead, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain and it'll be thrown into the sea. Speak the spoken word. So the spoken word has power. In the pathway to salvation, in Romans 10, 9, and 10, it starts out with the spoken word. It says, if we confess with our mouth, the spoken word, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So it's the spoken word, and words have power. If you don't take anything away from today, I want you to take away that the words that come out of your mouth have power. And we're going to look at the different ways that power can be used. But Jesus is addressing some false teachings that the the scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law are spreading around. And he confronts it head on because the Pharisees had this rule that if you didn't swear by God himself, if your vow wasn't to God, you could break your vow, your promise, or your oath. Remember as a kid, you're trying to convince somebody, listen, I promise I'm going to do this. I promise that I'll do it. Really, I'm going to do it. And behind your back, had your fingers crossed. It's the same thing. The Pharisees had come up with this vow-breaking formula that if you swore by something other than God, it was okay, basically just to lie. And Jesus is addressing this. And he's saying, wait a minute. You say that if you don't swear by God, it's okay. But when you swear by heaven, that's God's. So you are swearing by God. When you swear by earth, that belongs to God. So you are swearing by God. When you swear by Jerusalem, that is God's. So you're swearing by God. When you swear by your own head, God is the creator. He created you. That head is his. So you're swearing by God. And I know some of you probably chuckled when I read that verse about you can't change your hair black or white. There is a whole aisle in a lot of stores that will refute that fact. Uh, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, you can go down the aisle. You can pick the color you want to have. Purple, green, orange. I'm colorblind. I can't tell, so go for it. But uh, you can change the color of your hair, but here's the deal. You can change what's on the outside, but the roots reveal the reality. The roots grow out the same as what is intended to come out of your head. I love a verse in Proverbs 16, 31. It says, gray hair is a crown of glory. And baby, I'm wearing this crown until I die because I earned every one of these gray hairs, okay? So I'm not changing nothing, all right? Plus, it just seemed weird to me to color my hair. But, um, Jesus is is coming head on against the Pharisees, and he's saying, what you're telling people is wrong. Everything is God's. So he says this. He says, don't make any vows. Don't make any promises. Don't make any oaths. He says, basically, live your life in such a way that we don't need to make promises to people. Live your life in such a way that when you say, yes, I will, people know that you mean, yes, I will. And when you say, no, I won't, people know that you're serious, that you mean, no, I won't. That's the way he wants us to live. Words matter because words reveal really what is in our hearts. In Proverbs 18, 
20 and 21, and I have to say this before I get into this, what you're about to hear is not what I had planned to say in this part of the scripture or part of the message. Uh, I was out on my lawnmower on Thursday. In fact, one of my brothers over here drove by. He's a policeman, but he didn't give me a ticket for speeding or anything. I was on my lawnmower, and when I'm out on the mower, it's, it's like a time where it's just me, the hum of the mower, and God. My phone's inside. I'm not getting phone calls. I'm not getting text messages. And God spoke to my heart to speak these next words that I'm going to say to you. So if you have a problem with it, please uh, take it up with him, because I had planned on something totally different. And he dropped this in my heart on Thursday. And it says in Proverbs 18, 20, 20 and 21, it says, wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Have you ever had a good meal? I mean, just a great meal. And you walk away from it, you're like, man, that was a good meal. Uh, my wife and I decided to take off Thursday, was it Thursday morning? Thursday morning, we just got in the truck and started driving, hit all back roads, ended up in Pikeville. Part of the time, we didn't know where we are. We had no cell reception. We were kind of lost. But we did end up in Pikeville, and we ate at a little restaurant on the main drag there. And it was excellent. It was satisfying. It tasted so good, and it fed our bodies. Wise words are like that to our soul and spirit. When we hear wise words, it satisfies just like that meal. When we speak wise words, it satisfies other people just like a good meal. And we can choose to use wise words to build others up. We can choose to use wise words to support the leadership that God has put in our lives. We can choose to use wise words to create unity in the body. We can choose to use wise words to breathe life into others. And if you do that in your life, and you choose to use wise words, you're going to be surrounded by a group of people that love you and they appreciate the meal that you're serving them through the wise words that you're speaking to them. It will satisfy them. Or on the flip side of that coin, you can choose to use foolish words. You can choose to drink and spread the poison of gossip, and it's a choice. You can choose to question the leadership that God has put in your life. You can, use, you can choose to use those words to create drama. And some people just thrive on drama. If it's not in their life, something must be wrong. You can use to choose foolish words to criticize people do, who don't do things the way you think things should be done. And you can choose to use foolish words to belittle others to make yourself look good. But I promise you, if you choose to live your life that way, you won't be surrounded by people that love you. You'll be surrounded by people that are just like you. Because misery loves company. And if you're all the time gossiping, if you're all the time cutting down the leadership, if you're all the time questioning people and belittling people, you'll be surrounded by a bunch of people that love that, people who love the taste of gossip. People will take a big second helping of questioning the leadership. People who love a heaping spoonful of drama. 
people who enjoy criticism and questioning others' motives, and people who make dessert out of cutting others down. But I promise you this, that if you choose to live that way, you will never, never, ever be satisfied. It would be like living your life and having a diet of only donuts. That's all you ever ate, donuts. Now, donuts are good occasionally, but if that's all you ever ate, it's empty calories. You would never grow stronger. You would never mature. You would never be the person you're intended to be because your diet is empty. And if you choose to live that way, you will never be satisfied. Never be satisfied. And when it says in this verse that the tongue can bring life or death, when it says the tongue, it's not talking about this thing in our mouth. It's talking the words about the words that come out of our mouth. You see, the tongue or our words, they can either encourage or discourage. They can bring sorrow or they can bring joy. Our words can build up or they can tear down. They can cause healing or destroy. Our words can create peace or they can cause wars. Our words can build trust or tear down trust. Our words can bring hope or our words can bring despair. In Luke 6.45, it says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And here it is. What you say flows from what is in your heart. I want you to think just for a few seconds about what kind of words come out of your mouth during the course of a day. Just think about those words. Are you a person whose glass is always half empty, never half full? Is nobody ever good enough? Is nothing ever quite good enough? If you claim to be a Jesus follower, you can't use the excuse, it's just the way I am. It might be the way you are, but it's not the way that Jesus is. And if Jesus is in our heart, the things that come out of our mouth need to reflect him, not the old us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, I was reading this verse, and I kind of paraphrased it into a way that made sense to me. But in my words, it would say, if we give our lives to Jesus, we become a new person. The old life is gone. The way we used to be should change. And it doesn't mean you're not saved if you still struggle with what comes out of your mouth. It just means that God does not have access into that part of your life to correct that behavior in you yet. Last week, Pastor put up a graphic on the screen. I have it this week. And he talked about our eyes. If we can put that graphic up, please. There we go. Talked about our eyes and our mind, our spirit and our body, and what, how we process through that. What, our, what we see goes through our mind, our heart, and out, out of our body in some form. But this week, I want to talk about when we have a thought in our mind, if we're Christians, Jesus is in our heart. The Holy Spirit resides there. That thought that's in our, our mind needs to go through our spirit. And what comes out of our mouth or our body needs to reflect that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. But I know you all know people that skip one of those steps. They have a thought in their mind, and before you know it, it's out of their mouth. 
they don't even consider what those words might do or the damage those words might cause. And they skip the heart altogether. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, the more talk, the less truth. So in other words, if we just keep yammering on, eventually we're going to stray away from the truth. The wise measure their words. Do you want to be wise? Take time to take what's in your head, filter it through the Holy Spirit in your heart, and let it come out of your mouth. Don't be the person that has a thought and it's out their mouth, no filters. They're just saying what they feel like they should say or just not even thinking about what they're saying. Measure your words. Would you agree that we live in a time where people will say anything? Do you agree with that statement? People will say anything? Some of you are awake. Do you agree with that? People are going to say anything? Let me hear you. All right. We agree. You look at social media. I call them keyboard cowards. They will type anything they want behind the protection of a screen of a computer. They will say anything. They will discredit anybody. They will character assassin people hiding behind a keyboard. And they'll say stuff that they wouldn't say to your face in fear of being punched or worse. And it's not going to get any better. I promise you it's not going to get any better. And it doesn't matter what party is sitting in the White House. It doesn't matter what party is in charge of Congress or the Senate. The only answer is Jesus Christ. If we want to see this country change and actually get back to God, it's, it's, and I'm not saying it's not important to vote, but I'm saying we need to spend more time on our knees praying for our country. And we need to be living examples of Jesus Christ in the words that we speak, not just in here, outside of these walls. <clears throat> in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, this is a description of our society today. It has been a description of every society in the past, and it will be in the future. It says, in the last days, there will be very difficult times. And when it says the last days, it means the days leading up to Jesus coming back, Jesus returning to earth. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Is there any ungratefulness in our society today? There's probably ungratefulness right inside this room. We need to correct that. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. That is a picture of our world today. And for us in here, we understand that. But on the other side of that wall, there are children from birth through fifth grade that when they get to be our age, this problem is going to be exponentially bigger. It would probably scare us if we saw what the future looks like in 30, 40, 50 years. And we cannot leave it to the church and to society to train our kids in what is truth and what is a lie. 
as parents, as grandparents, as friends. We need to prepare them for what's coming. Because I'm sure you've heard the saying, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for anything. Same way with the truth. If they don't know what the absolute truth is, they're going to be in a world of hurt because society will be glad to tell them what the truth is. Schools will be glad to tell them what the truth is. Let it be on our shoulders to prepare them for what the truth is. There's a couple guys named James Patterson and Peter Kim. They wrote a book called The Day America Told the Truth. The Day America Told the Truth. And they did a lot of research, and they found out that 91% of Americans lie on a daily basis. Either stretch the truth, don't tell the whole truth, tell a half truth, or just not reveal what the truth is in our speech. 91%. And I was shocked when I saw that number, 91%, because I did not realize that there are that many journalists and reporters in America. There you go. Send your email. He was just kidding at CrossroadRevolution.com. I'm kidding. If you're a journalist or reporter in here, we love you. It's your cohorts in the business that are doing all this. It's not, not you. But um, 91%, and that's staggering. But words matter so much because God's word matters so much. Here's what the Bible says about God and his words, his promise. Hebrews 6, 16 through 18, it says, Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he will never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things, his promise and his oath, are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. It's not in his character. He cannot lie. Us, on the other hand, we can get pretty good at it. We can lie. I thought it would be cool if somebody wrote a book or made a movie about somebody that was unable to lie and had to tell the truth the whole time. And I found this little clip. You know why I pulled you over? Depends on how long you were following me. Why don't we just take it from the... Here goes. I sped. I followed too closely. I ran a stop sign. I almost hit a Chevy. I sped some more. I failed to yield at a crosswalk. I changed lanes in the intersection. I changed lanes without signaling while running a red light at speed. Is that all? No. I have unpaid parking tickets. Be gentle. <laughs> it's funny, but... There's some truth in there. See, God wants us to be people that tell the truth all the time. Not part of the truth, the whole truth. He wants us to be like him. He created us in his image. And the words that we say matter. We know the words that we say can bring life and death to a situation, but sometimes we live like there's no consequences to our words. 
we have to realize that the words that we speak change things. If you have a friend that's sick, you can either go over and say, man, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry about your diagnosis. You know, it doesn't look very good. Or you can go over to that friend and say, you know what? I know a God who created your body. And is it all right if I ask him to touch your body and make you whole again? You can speak life into situations instead of bringing, bringing it down and, and speaking death. And that clip is funny, but in all reality, if we were put in that situation, what would our life look like? Pastor read a uh, scripture last week, and it kind of caught my ear. He said, we too, it's, oh, sorry, Romans eight twenty three. we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. I'm so glad that God keeps his promises, because I don't know about you, but I am ready for that new body. I am ready for a body that doesn't get sick. I'm ready for a body that doesn't sound like a bowl of Rice Krispies when I get out of bed with a snap, crackles, and pops. I am ready for that new body that doesn't get so tired I could lay down in the aisle at Walmart and go to sleep. I'm ready for that new body, and I can trust his promise is true. And I'm kind of excited about when I die because it will be the only time in my life that I have a smoking hot body. Because I'm getting cremated, y'all. I'm getting cremated. But I'm thankful that God keeps his promises. Can you imagine if we lived our life here as Jesus followers and did our best to honor him with how we lived, what we said, what we did, and we get to heaven and we're standing there waiting to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my kingdom. And God steps up and he goes, psych, I was just kidding. All that stuff about eternity and forgiveness of sins and all that, I made all that up. It's not real. But that's not the reality of it. We can trust God and thank him that his promises are true. And God, he, he always keeps his promises, and he set the standard for us in keeping promises. There are no half-truths. There's no gray area. There's no white lies. It's just truth and lies. And God, how he feels about lies, he hates them. He hates them. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about David and Bathsheba. And David was supposed to be off to war with his army, and he stayed home instead. And he got in a heap of trouble with Bathsheba. He raped her, got her pregnant, killed her husband. And the prophet Nathan came and confronted David. And he said, what in the world are you doing? Do you think God doesn't know what's going on? Do you think God doesn't know how you're trying to cover this up? And David repented. And in Psalm 51, David is writing a psalm about this encounter with Nathan and his repentance to God. And he says this. He says, what you're after is truth from the inside out. It's not about our outward appearance. It's not how good we look to other people. God desires truth in us from the inside out. In Proverbs 12, it says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. And you want to know the reason that God hates lies? In the very beginning, he created these two human beings, Adam and Eve, put them in a perfect garden. They were set. He said one thing, do not eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
So everything was cool until someone showed up on the scene. Satan. And what Satan did was he lied about the character of God. He lied about God's character. He convinced Adam and Eve, the reason he doesn't want you to eat from that tree is when you eat from it, you're going to be like him. He just bold-faced lied about God's character. And Adam and Eve ate. You know the story. Mankind fell. God's perfect creation, the enemy, lied about God's character, and humankind fell. In John 8, 44, Jesus is talking about his adversary, Satan. And he describes him with these words. He says, he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. In another version, it says, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So if we allow things to be in our lives that are lies, that aren't the whole truth, if we're living a lie, we have to take note of that and see what God can do with that in us. See, Satan is the father of lies, but our God that we serve, he's the father of truth, and we can trust him. Jesus said in John eight thirty two, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Later in the same book, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is saying, you will know me, and I will set you free. See, God desires us to live a life of truth, but that living a life of truth does not happen without Jesus in our life. And we surrender our lives to Jesus and ask him to come into our hearts. He does that. But for the next few moments, I'd like for you to picture your heart as a house, a house that has a front door and a foyer, a living room, a dining room, a kitchen, bathrooms, bedrooms, basement, attic, however you want your house to look, okay? We ask Jesus into our heart, and he comes through that front door, and he's in the foyer. You've experienced freedom from the penalty of sin. He's forgiven your sins. He has set a pathway for you to get to heaven. But sometimes that's where it stops. And there's a lot of other rooms in that house. And what I found in my own life until I surrendered the keys to all those other rooms to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me, I did not find freedom in those areas of my life. And I ask you this morning, does Jesus and the Holy Spirit have free and total access to every nook and cranny of your heart? Because if you come here for an hour on Sunday morning, it's easy to be excited about Jesus in these four walls. But what's it like outside there? What's it like in normal life, at work, at home, with your buddies, with your friends? What's your life look like? And like me, I used to say, I feel like I'm living a lie because I don't live the same way in the week as I do on Sunday morning. And the reason was I kept some of those rooms in my heart locked. The Lord didn't have access to those rooms. I tried to control those rooms. I had the keys. I held on tight to them. And then one day I came to a point of surrender where I gave it all to Jesus. And things started changing in my life. It wasn't an instant change, but as he gained access, he walked into the kitchen and he had free reign to open that junk drawer and see what was in there. 
he had free reign to go into my bedroom and open that closet door and see what was in there that I'd kept hidden from everybody else. He had free reign to open that nightstand drawer and deal with what was in there. He could go to the basement. He could go to the attic. And as he penetrated those rooms with his freedom, I found truth in my life. I found freedom in my life to live a life not just free, but free indeed. And it wasn't that I wasn't going to heaven. I'd been forgiven of my sins. But how much better is it to be free indeed and experience freedom in all of those areas of your life so that you know what the truth is and you know what real freedom is so that when you say yes, people know you mean yes. When you say no, people know that you mean no. And I urge you, if the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart this morning, asking for those keys, you will never experience more freedom than when you give your entire heart to Jesus Christ and let him have access to every nook and cranny that you've kept hidden. You thought from him, but he knows. We can't just be Christians inside these walls, folks. How is the world ever going to change if we don't spill out into this community and live in that freedom and truth so that when we say yes, people know we mean yes. I will pray for you. People know he's going to pray for me. When we say we'll do something for somebody, they know they can trust us. We're living in that freedom of the truth of Jesus Christ. So I urge you, do business with God. If he's tugging on your heart to let go of those keys, give them to him. You'll look back on that day and say, you know what, I remember I gave him the keys that day and my life changed forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. You're the truth. You're the life. And Lord, so many times we try to do it on our own power. We think we know what's best for our life. We think we know what the truth is. But Lord, you're showing us that that you are. And if there's areas of our life where you're not allowed, Lord, I pray that we would let go of those keys once and for all and let you have access to our hearts where real change happens, where real things start to to happen in our lives, and we're living that life of truth and the freedom that you've designed us to live in. I thank you for your word. Keep speaking to our hearts as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.